Hello, everyone, and welcome to a very special episode of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mark. Now, as you may have seen on all my socials over the last few days, I was at the incredible 2000 Trees Festival, one of my highlights every year with an amazing lineup, the best atmosphere, and for me, the most family friendly festival there is out there. It's just an absolute blast. And this year I made my debut on the Word stage doing two live podcasts over the weekend. The first was on Thursday morning with the Free is a Magic Number podcast. I filled in for Renfrey with my good friend Matt Hughes and it was an absolute blast. We were joined by the awesome band Snakes and it was just unbelievable. And on Saturday at the Word stage, I had the Mark and Me podcast live debut with Jen Hingley from the amazing and absolutely incredible band False Advertising, as well as being the live guitarist in the Jamie Ledman band. I've been a huge fan of Jen's work for a few years. We've actually become quite close friends and I got to spend a lot of the festival with her and she's just absolutely wonderful. And I thought it would be amazing to record the interview so you guys at home that couldn't make the festival would be able to enjoy it from the comfort of your own home. So, coming up on this interview today, you get to hear us talk all about the history of her band, the songwriting, and there's also a live game show which I wanted to share with you because it was a highlight of the festival for me and great fun, and it does kind of work listening back to it too. There isn't much else to say at the start of this podcast apart from a big shout out to the sponsor of the podcast, Richer Sounds. Without those guys, this podcast wouldn't exist, so a massive thank you for supporting me each and every month, and if you're in the market for a brand new TV, check out richersounds.com. But like I said, today is all about 2000 Trees. I have a number of specials coming over the next few days, but this is the starting point, and it's me and Jen talking all things 2000 Trees. Good morning, 2000 Trees. That's the best response already this weekend. Now, um, what we're going to do today is we're going to do an episode of Mark and Me. Hopefully some of you here have heard. Have any of you heard of Mark and Me before? That's really good. What we're going to do is we're going to record this, okay? So it's going to go on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Amazon and all these different channels. So what I want to do is make loads of noise. So when anyone asks me how the set went, I will say... There was probably about six, 7,000 people. Now, if you can all, at 9 o'clock in the morning, make a bit of extra noise when I do the introduction now for my special guest, just go crazy, because on the recording, it will sound like there's hundreds of people. Is that a good review? So my special guest today on the Mark and Me Live at 2000 Trees is someone that means a lot to me because I'm a huge fan of their music. Their band has been on Mark and Me about two years ago and to do something in person I think is a lot more intimate and it's someone that I just am so grateful to have here. So I have Jen from the amazing, the incredible false advertising today. Hey Jen. You guys are really good. <laughs> Jen, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I think we should sit down so it's not awkward for the whole yeah, interview. Yeah. <laughs> so if any of you have heard Mark and me before, what I normally do on the episode is get to know my guest. So I'm going to have that like magic pen from, have you seen the Men in Black films where I pretend that I then don't know anybody ever? So I'm going to use that now. 
and then I'm going to find out all about you, if that's good with you. It's all good. So, Jen, welcome to the Mark and Me podcast live at 2000 Trees. How are you doing? I'm all right. I must admit it's a little bit weird being awake, like, in the morning at a festival. <laughs> but I'm well rested. I had, like, eight hours sleep, kind of on and off. I got woken up by people shouting, like, Queen songs at the sign of the disco many times, but... It's all good. It's all good. Bohemian Rhapsody at 3am. You can't beat it. Yeah, and I, it did make me sad that I'd, the night before I was at the Silent Disco screaming the lyrics to Bohemian Rhapsody. So I was kind of like, I, I did it yesterday, but... These two guys here were at the Silent Disco at 3am and they still made today's set. That's good pretty fucking you. awesome. Good on you. I'm, Thank you. I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> it was you. Yes, it was. <laughs> I wish I had that resilience and I could have done that, but I like looked at it last night and I was like, this is a... I had my silent disco headphones like in my bag and I was just like, this is a choice. And I, I chose bed. <laughs> Literally after rival schools last night, I felt like your dad going, don't have any more drinks. You had a cocktail in your hand and I was like, we're on tomorrow at 9am. You've got one choice now, this drink or some water. And it was so good. I felt so proud. You're like, here's the water. I'm going now. <laughs> Thank you. That's a commitment. Yeah. So what I want to do is basically get to know all the bands that you used to listen to as a kid and how it all started. So when you were a kid and you were growing up, was there someone in your family that handed you down a mixtape or a CD or maybe you had a job and saved up pocket money? But what was that first album that kind of made you fall in love with music? I've been lucky in a sense that um, my I come from quite a musical family and quite a musical sort of family background. So... I grew up um, as a child, like my earliest memories of like see, see my uncle, my uncle is, was the singer in a band called the Inspiral Carpets. Oh, wow. Um, so growing up, like they were on top of the pops and things like that. So it's like, oh, Uncle Tom's on TV again. And it's like, and then you'd like see him at family stuff and I'd just ask him loads of questions about top of the pops and things like that. And it was just like the coolest thing ever. So I always kind of grew up and my dad is like, He's always been playing in bands, like, just continuously, collects guitars. So our house was always just full of music stuff. So, so yeah, I suppose there was the background of that going on. I was always very encouraged to play music um, from, like, tiny, tiny age. So um, that was all kind of going on. But then as you kind of grow up, you start to maybe... You get to an age where you maybe start, like, resenting the things that your parents encourage you to do a little bit like you get a little bit rebellious I guess so I sort of found that I guess growing up I, I love things like um we always listened to stuff in the car like Michael Jackson like um Bjork was a big one that we listened to a lot like Supergrass uh, even like Oasis and things like that like loved listening to music in the car like, I have like the fondest nostalgic memories of going on holiday and like listening to these records and like one of the Now albums as, as well, <laughs> things like that. But then I suppose when I got to about nine or ten, that's the, the age when I was kind of like, obviously like made a lot of friends, lived, grew up in this cul-de-sac um, in Didcot in Oxfordshire and um, have, have friends who lived down our road and we'd like go and play Nintendo 64 around each other's houses and then found out, like got introduced to bands like Blink-182 and like, it was like the new metal era, I guess, as well. So bands like Linkin Park and... and but the thing that... I just borrowed a bunch of CDs from my next-door neighbour, uh, Django, at one point when I was about 10. 
And the one CD that kind of really stuck with me was um, The Color and the Shape by the Foo Fighters. And I remember- It's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah. So I was like finding my way, and I knew I liked these bands. But then I found that and I was like, this is the album. So that's probably, that was like the moment where I like found a, like my favorite album, I guess, which I still love today. Live music was the moment that it changed for me. I remember going to my first gig and the hairs on my neck were sticking up and my rib cage was shaking from the bass. And I was really lucky. Most people, when they go to their first gig, they're like, it was Steps with my sister and stuff like this. And it's not cool. But I was very lucky. I got to see Green Day on their Dookie tour. So I'm showing my age now. But I saw them at like Wolverhampton Wolfram, which is a tiny little venue. And I couldn't believe that there was only Billy Joe on Billy Joe Armstrong playing guitar and singing. I kept looking like there must be another guitar on this stage because it's just so good. But what was it that you remember as your first proper gig? And if it's embarrassing, please let's be honest here. I've got two. I mean, I went to Truck Festival in Oxfordshire back when it was tiny was essentially my local festival. But the first time I went to it was again maybe when I was about ten or eleven. And this was in like 2001, 2002 or something. And my uncle was headlining and my dad's band were playing in the barn. <laughs> so this was like way before it got big and cool and stuff like that. So I still love Truck Festival. But um, so that was probably, that was my first festival experience. But then my first ever gig was my uncle's band when I was 14. I was either 13 or 14 at Brixton Academy. So in Spiral Carpets. And that was sold out and we got to go on the tour bus and it was amazing. So that was good. But then about... Two months later, I went to see Busted in Oxford. So between those two... I love and the I age love difference here. It's like Busted and then Green Day on their doing <laughs> tour. Oh, my God. But if things had gone a different way around, my first gig would have been Busted. But I would have stood behind that. I mean, they're a great band, so... So were you this person at school that grew up then in music lessons, wanting to form a band? Did you, did you do the whole Battle of the Bands thing as a kid? Or were you later on in life, kind of at college, thinking, now I want to start like playing music myself? So I always played music. Um, I started playing violin when I was like five because my dad was like, you will play an instrument. And I, was, and I, I loved violin, it was great. Um, but all through my life, I was, I was kind of slightly... I, mean, I wouldn't say I was made to go to like music school on a Saturday, but I was essentially made to go to music school on a Saturday. So all my weekends were just <laughs> like... And then I started going to brass band on Sundays and I was just like, this is too much. I refound my, um, my childhood diary from when I was like 11 the other day because we were like clearing out my dad's house. And it's like, I went, it's literally like every weekend, it's like, I got made to go to music school today. It was rubbish. But we got, <laughs> then we got to go to McDonald's. And it's, it's just stuff like that. It's like a report of everything I did. And I'm just like, yeah. But I must have got quite a lot out of it, I guess. Did um, you report in that diary which <laughs> McDonald's Happy Meal toy you get? Because they used to be really good, like, 10, 15 years ago. Now they're rubbish. But were you like, this week I got an incredible, like, mask toy? I think or? so. Because, yeah, sometimes I'd be like, we got some Pokemon. Like, I literally... Because I was... We, we, like, clean out everything. I didn't get, like, throw everything away, but I was trying to, like, sort out all of my childhood stuff, which has been in the loft for, like... I thought my parents, like, got, got rid of it all when I went to uni, but no all of my childhood stuff is still there, all my school stuff, even, yeah, like, all my, like, all the Happy Meal toys are still there. They're worth loads. If you get I on know. eBay, you don't need to do this whole bambalarkey. <laughs> Just sell the lot, and you'll never have to do it again. Like, Beanie Babies. There's, like, these South Park toys that I was looking up, and one of them is, like, limited edition, and it's worth loads of money. But anyway, so, so yeah, I need to go back and, like, do <laughs> a big cast. eBay session. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, so, so it did say a few things like that in it, and, and I actually found the toys as well. I was like, wow. But yeah, it's mainly like um, 
beanie baby toys and things like that. It's weird how you rebel because my parents were like, you need to do a musical instrument. I'm like, I don't want to. And they're like, honestly, at school, you need to do one. And I was like, okay, I'll do one. The recorder. Like, did any of you learn the recorder at school? Like, yep. this will definitely be used in life later on. Have you ever seen anyone after the age of 12 play a recorder? Probably not, actually. Exactly. It's a waste of time. Like algebra. There's <laughs> things you don't need to carry on with you in life. For sure. Yeah, I agree. So when did false advertising start? Because um, you've had the same lineup, haven't you, since you started? Yeah, so it started... I mean, you asked before um, whether I was in a band at school and things like that. So I wasn't in a band at school or anything like that. Um, I always knew that I wanted to be in a band, I guess, ultimately. Um, but I started kind of... Obviously, I was still learning violin and stuff, but learning, secretly learning guitar and teaching myself guitar, I suppose, um, in, in the... Like, I just sort of took a guitar from my dad's... Like, one of the ones he didn't, like... Was, that wasn't expensive or anything and tried to teach myself how to play guitar so, but like secretly so we didn't know so I sort of did that over many years so I got to a point where I could kind of play guitar but that didn't really happen I guess until I was like at the age when I went to uni kind of 18 and stuff like that so I took a guitar with me to Manchester um, but I didn't actually I did meet um, Chris who's in my band um, pretty much straight away when I moved to Manchester because we sort of met three mutual friends, but we didn't actually end up forming the band. So I moved when I was 18, and then we started playing in bands together when I was 24, so it took quite a long time. And he was playing in loads of bands all the time, and then I kind of like eventually kind of got the guts to go and play open mic nights um, by myself acoustically. But then we ended up forming an open mic duo where we did covers. Nice. And then from that, we ended up forming um, a band with Josh and another drummer originally, um, which we called Blue Dot Money for some reason. don't even know. And we played three gigs. And then there was like a big brand breakup kind of musical, thing. Musical differences. There was like a, a Weatherspoons meeting where the drummer was <laughs> wow. like, it's me or Josh, like literally. And then, but for all these reasons. And then... And then Chris and I were just like, we're going to form another band. <laughs> and we just walked off. Wow. <laughs> it was really bad. In a Weatherspoons. <laughs> yeah. So we did form an, a new band, as in it was just us writing demos for ages. And then we got a rehearsal space. And it was us playing, Chris and I playing drums and guitar and singing and swapping places. So that's, we started our band. We were always swap places between drums and guitar. But we were doing that, we were rehearsing and like writing for about a year. And then we were like, we really need a bass guitarist, so we just like rang up Josh, and he came straight back. So was he still in Weatherspoons at the time, still crying into a he glass was. of <laughs> Coke? He was. No, not really. Um, he got over it pretty quickly, I think, because we'd only played three gigs. It wasn't a big deal. But, like, um, but yeah, so then we, we started that band, and then we've been, we've been together ever since. So that's, that's about ten years ago. It feels like quite a while since your last album was out. Um, is it just like 18 months, maybe two years now? came out in November 2019. It's been what? quite a while. That long? Wow. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of want to kind of delve deep and find out what's going on behind the scenes. Because we'll talk about Jamie Lemon and what you've been doing over the last 12 months, but have you kind of put it a stop to false advertising at the moment? Or is it on like a hiatus? Or are you secretly recording something that we all now will get revealed here as an exclusive? <laughs> well, we, we've been continuously working on stuff in different ways through like... Because obviously we put out our last record, November 2019, full of hopes and dreams, um, like tried really hard, um, 
did quite a lot with it actually in a short space of time. Went on tour, really enjoyed going on tour and playing all these shows and got like a bunch of like got offered other support tours with bigger artists and did all the things where like we'd been booked for festivals, including this one um, and a few other ones. And it, it was all looking really good. And we were like, oh, a plan maybe kind of like starting to work. But then, of course, you know what's coming 2020. Everything got cancelled. Everything firstly got postponed and then later cancelled. And then we rebooked stuff. It, same thing happened again. You know, it's one of those things that it just became like this for everyone, obviously, this really difficult thing to deal with. So for us in our band, it essentially meant that we didn't rehearse for a year from, like, I guess, March to March, because everything we did just stopped to the point where um, Chris and our band was like, look, guys, this is nice and everything, but I've, I've just, like, got a new house. I want to renovate it. I'm not going to be available for, like, X amount of time, which ended up being about a year. So, But during that time, like, obviously, we couldn't rehearse anyway, so he was right to say that. Um, we obviously didn't meet up, but like um, I just started because started going stir crazy. Like I suppose everyone did. I live in a flat. I don't have a garden, so maybe if I had a garden, it would have been slightly different. But I, after a bit, um, I didn't know if it was the right thing to do at the time. But I started going into our rehearsal space after a couple of weeks, completely empty. There's no one there. It's just this room with all our gear in it. We don't share it with anyone. So I started going in and just like demoing and playing drums and stuff just every day. And then, and then ultimately ended up progressing through trial and error because I was in our band, Chris, um, who plays drums, who I've mentioned a few times, he is a sound engineer. So he has always done like a lot of our recording. He knows exactly what to do. So I've never had to think about it. Been very spoiled. Every time we've demoed anything, every time we've done anything, he's been there doing it. So obviously he wasn't there. He like wasn't responding to anything because he was like, I've got my house now. <laughs> um, but like, um, so I started just trying to figure stuff out by myself, like how to figure out, obviously I was doing a lot of writing, but it got to the point where I was like, what if I did record the drums or like do like a demo drum recording? And then that just like, luckily our producer, Luke, who we worked with on Brain Freeze, I like sent him some of my rubbish demos. I was like, what do you think? And he was like, I will help you. So he just started giving me advice, telling me what mics to buy. Um, I'd send him pictures of how I was making stuff up and he'd be like, you're doing it wrong, do it like this. Um, so yeah, through a lot of trial and error over the course of a year, I ended up um, starting the basis of the new false advertising record. And then that iteratively has been, we've gone back and forth into the studio, we've re-recorded bits, we've um, done all sorts of stuff um, on it. So it's not just the, my recordings, but, but yeah. So, so it's we'll got, have a brand new album on the way. Yeah, but because it's been such a like trial and error process, it's there's been so many points where I've been like, oh yeah, the album's nearly finished, and then and then we've just like gone into the studio and like re-recorded bits, and it's been like, oh yeah, <laughs> should have just done this straight away. Have you got so, yeah. a rough kind of point in your head where you're like telling yourself we need to get it done by Christmas or we want to get it done by so we can tour next year or we're booking it in for mastering like really soon, so we'll know we'll we'll know like. When, when we know when the, it's going to be mastered by, then we'll be able to plan everything. So, so yeah, we're nearly there. But, yeah, I still don't have any dates attached to it. But hopefully by the end of this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll see. So while all this is going on as well, um, I, everyone will know this if they've listened to Mark and me. I'm a huge Reuben fan. I think uh, Race, Cars, Race Car Backwards is probably one of the best British debut albums you then got this call, or how did it happen that Jamie Lemon asked you to 
kind of join his live touring band because I've had a flashback now that when you did come on the podcast, <laughs> we talked about our love for Ruben and it was insane then when I saw this announcement. You must have been like fangirling like crazy knowing that you get to play these songs that you absolutely love. Yeah, I'm a big, big Ruben fan. Like, I, I can prove this because when they did, they played like Mean Fiddler 2, I can't remember what year it was, like 2006, 17, maybe 18. It was before I moved to Manchester and they've got a live DVD of them playing and it's just around, the, just before the third album came out. And you can see me in the front row in the video on YouTube, like just like staring at Jamie and just singing all the words. <laughs> like you can see, me. I'm like even in some of the thumbnails for the songs, right? And the Blitzkrieg video, I'm in the very beginning of it. And I like go like this, this to the camera as it goes past the crowd in like the first three seconds. So I was there, but like... Do you think Jamie was like, we need to hire this person in the band because <laughs> she seems so obsessed she might kill us. Like, let's just get her in the band to protect ourselves. That, I mean, I'm, I'm always <laughs> a bit worried about that because I think, I think my number one kind of thing with this whole experience has been, is he aware of what I'd like obsessive fan like I I am still am deep down what are you gonna <laughs> do if you sat there one day and you're going to a tour and he's like guess what right let's watch this DVD look at that girl there like <laughs> we never found out who she is just like that like <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I, I think um, I mean everyone's fine with it I guess <laughs> that's the thing but yeah I suppose um so it's been it's obviously been for me, like this amazing, incredible experience for so many ways, um, in so many ways. But um, for us, it was, it came about what I do now and how I've got to play guitar with Jamie in his live band. Um, it started a few years ago when we ended up um, talking to Jamie's old manager, Matt Hughes, who runs the, what's the podcast called? Goodest Gold Group and Free is a Magic Number. Three is a Magic Number podcast. Yeah. Um, so we, he became our manager ultimately, um, but we, we sort of talked to, to him. This is prior to Brain Freeze, our last album coming out, because I was like, I was managing the band and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So he took pity on us, which was very nice. Um, but at that point, he was kind of like, well, I also managed Jamie Lemon, and I was just like, what? Um, and then, so he ended up introducing us, I think. And also around that time, um, Dan Cav, who, plays drums for Jamie. This all happened like at a weirdly similar time. So it's like everything just kind of came together in like, this weird way. Um, Dan Cavu used to play drums for Jamie, um, messaged us, like our band, just saying like, and I didn't realize who he was, but he was just like saying that he liked our band and he'd seen us live and, and stuff like that. And I, I like, replied being like, oh, thank you very much. And I didn't realize who it was. And then eventually, I realized who it was, and I was like, oh my God, it's Jamie Lemon's drummer. And then so through Matt, we got, actually through a friend who was supporting Jamie at a Manchester show, um, got me and Josh from our band on, a, on the guest list. So this all happened in like the same week. Like three different things happened that were like completely sort of unrelated, but to do with Jamie Lemon. And then so at the end of the show, I think Dan walked past, Dan Cav walked past, and we were like, we're from that band you messaged. He was like, oh my God. And, and he's super nice. Um, Dan's awesome. And then, so he was like, let me introduce you to Jamie. And then at that point we got introduced to Jamie. He's super nice. Said that Dan had played us in the car like a few days ago and his manager had like mentioned us to him 
like the day before or something and we were just like okay that's crazy um and then so pretty soon after that we got a message saying do you want to support jamie lemon um at three shows one of which was 2000 trees festival which for us was like our dream gig like can't believe like i remember reading that email i was like i've always wanted to play 2000 Trees Festival, and it's with Jamie Lemon and just like crying. I had that last week when it came <laughs> through, and I'm still even today. I'm like, I'm playing two thousand trees. <laughs> yeah. You know the feeling, it's, right? It feels great. Yeah. So that happened, and then it was also asking us to support him at two other shows, one in Glasgow and one in London. Of course, we were like immediate yes. Um, so then after that, we've just been um, in touch every so often, and it's been really, it's it's really nice to play with with an artist who has a really genuine interest in what you're doing and obviously I'm interested in what he's up to so over the years I've been like do you have any demos I want to hear them and he's been the same to us so he's heard on your record and everything like that um but but yeah so he just kind of kept in touch and so one of these emails came through in the beginning of last year he was like do you do you want to hear my new record I'd love to hear what you think of it and I was like wow okay um so I listened to it I was like and it, it was the atheist um I was like this is amazing and for me, it's like super melodic, and I like I love that heavy stuff too. But for me, it was just like, to be really honest, like this this is my purse. I'm not I'm not saying it's like your best record necessarily, but it's like the vibe of this is totally up my street. I think it's awesome, and obviously brilliant songs, but like um, and very intricate guitar stuff. But like, and then a few weeks later, he was like, well, right, okay, so I'm forming a band. I need a lead lead guitarist. The only show we've got booked so far is Download Festival. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to join my band? And I was like, oh, uh, at first I, I didn't say yes straight away. I was like, do you mind if I have like a day just to like listen to it with this in mind and just think through what's going to be involved? Because I'd heard the record obviously and I was like, there's guitar solos on this record. And I play guitar, but I've never done a guitar solo that's not just like, and just like octaves and like weird sounds. And this actually has like vibrato in it and stuff. So, um, so I thought about it and I was, we had about two months before download, um, because obviously he was like, this is what it would involve. We're going to have to rehearse. Live in Manchester. They live, everyone else lives down south. So it was going to be like a, an actual thing. Couldn't just like turn up on the day. Um, and then so I ultimately said yes. But I did think about it very carefully before I did. And then I just practiced every day for hours. <laughs> and then um, and obviously I had to learn, work out the parts, learn the songs, go and rehearse a couple of times um, down in um, like Surrey. And then... Um, and then, yeah, we did download, and it was amazing. And then after that, I got asked if I wanted to do more gigs. So I know that it was like an audition, essentially. What an audition, though, download. <laughs> if you have a bad audition, quite a few thousand people. I know, it could have gone so wrong. <laughs> do you remember it, or were you just too involved? Does it feel like a dream? Does it feel like it didn't really happen because you were just nervous getting on stage, playing Ruben songs that you've listened to all your life? Was it just a bit too surreal that you kind of, a few days later, were like... I just did that gig. It was a lot to deal with, but I had, I had enough time to prepare, really, because um, I had... I sort of broke it down into, like, milestones. So I knew, like, when the first rehearsal was. I knew, like, when I had to finish working out the tracks and, like... So I kind of went through it. I li like, listened to all the songs, wrote... I, d I sort of did it quite meticulously because I can't read guitar tabs at all. Well, I probably could learn, but I was like... I just always played by ear, so I, I just like went through every song, tried to figure out what the lead guitar part was, recorded over the song, 
what I thought the guitar part was, sent that, and the backing vocals, sent that back to Jamie. He listened to them and was like, yeah, this is close enough. Or he'd be like, what are you doing? This is wrong. <laughs> so through a bit of that, we got to a point where we pretty much had all the part. Like I, I, had a, I knew everything I needed to learn. And then so I obviously learned and practiced it. And then we'd have a rehearsal and then I'd have to change loads of bits. And so, so through that process, but over a couple of months, like by like the first month, I'd got it all sorted and I was just drilling everything in pretty much. Um, so I had enough time to prepare for it really. Um, and I, I was rehearsing continuously because false advertising weren't doing that much. So it's like I, I could carve out time to really focus on it. Um, and so it was a big deal and I was really nervous um, when we got to download. But I'm used to playing gigs where it's just three people. We just turn up and kind of wing it. We don't have a sound engineer, don't have a driver sort out all our own stuff, you know. Like so I'm, I'm used this to must feel like a trip down memory lane. <laughs> <laughs> but like, Jamie has crew, he has a sound engineer, he's he has all people, professional. he has a, like a van, you know. <laughs> it's not like everything crammed into a car and we're just like trying to like borrow people's back line and stuff. It's like a proper thing. So that was a nice surprise for me in that like I kind of got to the stage and like Rob, who um, who's often Jamie's guitar tech had like set up all my pedal board for me without me even asking. I was like, that, I'm pretty sure of. you're not my guitar tech and you just did that with the goodness of your heart. But thank you, that's like saved me so much stress. So it was like, the little things like that made it so much easier. And it was like, so I, all I really had to worry about was playing the stuff, you know. But yeah, so it, everyone made it so easy. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've played, played those songs better now. I've done them many, many times. Like, we've been on tour. We've probably done about, I don't know, 30 shows or something like that. But, um, but yeah, no, it was, it was one of those things where, like, after it happened, because we were at Download Festival as well, which is, like, a dream in itself. Like, I've always wanted to play Download. And, like, we were backstage and got to go side, side of the main stage and stuff like that. And it was just, like, if I'd have just gone there and had that experience without playing, it would have been, like an amazing experience just anyway. So then, then the it was- the cherry on top is, yeah. we've also got ourselves on the bill this weekend. <laughs> yeah. But like after we played the show and everyone was like, like this, and like said it went well, I was, I think I was just like, it was like this whole like day just like opened up into like the best day ever, I guess. So now we're sat here, we're hours away from you playing at the forest stage later on today. Forest You're stage. playing the atheists in its entirety. We are. Be honest, are you nervous? Do you sit here now thinking, because it's gone further up, you started on the smaller stages, you've gone up again and again, and you're like the headliner on that stage tonight. You know it's going to be busy, and are you kind of just like, yeah, I've done 30 gigs now, I can do this, or are you like, oh my God? I'm a bit of both. I think I've got the kind of, not to kind of make a Jamie Lemon joke, but I've got the muscle memory of, of doing all the songs we're going to play, like, quite comfortably. We, 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 the tour we just did, you don't know, was like nine dates, I think. We played the Atheist in full every night, and then we played like the same amount of songs again every night from Jamie's back catalogue from both Ruben and his other albums. So it's like, as a, as a sort of three-piece band, we've become, like at that, we just became like really like tour fit, I guess. So everything, you, you, as a performer, you, you kind of get, like you can kind of do everything without thinking. So then you're sort of thinking, how can I kind of, perform better or how can I kind of adjust to the things that happen that you don't expect to happen and things like that so you're you're already at this point where you're more relaxed about it in a way by default but then you're you're always thinking about other stuff and then sometimes things go wrong 
But like, um, so, so there's still that kind of, un that wasn't that long ago, so there's still that underlying kind of comfortness that I feel that when I've been practicing it, it, I felt like I don't need to, well, hopefully I'm not being too complacent, but so I'm, I'm looking forward to it in that way. But then part of me is also like, I've been at a festival for three days. <laughs> is this the best choice? <laughs> so, but it's okay. I'm well rested. It's fine. Are you yeah, all coming right. to see the set later on today with Jamie Lemon? That's good. It's going to be great. And everyone else is like, they're coming today. They're all really fresh. So it's, it's great. I won't, I won't like fall asleep or anything. It'll be all right. <laughs> what I want to do now, because I feel like we've talked quite a lot, I want to save your voice for tonight, is a random live podcast game show. Does everyone like the sound of kind of getting up and doing something a bit active? Is that good with you guys? Remember, it's being recorded. Is that good with you guys? Yeah. yeah. And we've got prizes. Everyone loves prizes. Oh, so what we're going to do is we've got limited edition Mark and Me stickers. It's being recorded. We've got Mark and Me limited stickers, and we've got some really cool badges from Digital Suicide, and do people like the film True Romance? We've got some cool badges from there. Random as hell prizes, not that I've just found these yesterday morning. So there's some really cool stuff, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to stand up and play a theme tune from a classic TV show, and once it's finished, the first person to put their hand up, and if they get it right, wins a badge and a limited edition sticker. Does that sound pretty entertaining? Yes, I'm glad. And it took me a long time to edit these clips. Is it once the, the track is finished, they've got to put their hands up? For or? editing purposes. Okay, so don't put your hand up until it's finished. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise... It'll be a nightmare to edit. Cool. So, clip one, and I hope this comes across through the PA quite well. Jen, who was it first? Guy in the middle? It's you. Fraggle Rock. Fraggle Rock is correct. Everyone give him a round of applause. <laughs> Do you want to come up and collect your prize? That would be cool. Die Hard badge, limited edition sticker, and a true romance badge. Well done, buddy. Thank you. Well done. I did get a name for this quiz as well, which is quite important. It's called 2000 Themes. There's two fouls. Sean, don't shake your head. Come on, support me, please. <laughs> please, Sean. Yes, exactly. Are you all sticking around for Sapnin Podcast? <laughs> Are you all sticking around for Sapnin Podcast? That's better. Next clip coming up. Jen, who are you saying? It was so close, by the way. Who are we saying? Yeah, you, sorry. In the Ramones t-shirt? <laughs> Ramones. Incredible. Is it me or is the old TV show has got the best themes? <laughs> Everyone give me a round of applause. <laughs> we should have just done a quiz for an hour. <laughs> so you've got a Mark and Me sticker, another Mark and Me sticker, a badge from Fight Club. 
um, which we don't talk about, and another badge from True Romance. Well done, guys. Number three. Again. Who right in the middle of the back? Yeah. How did you know that? Sorry, sorry. Amazing. <laughs> you get this as a cool badge. Look at this. Kill Bill. Well done, buddy. Almost halfway there. It's a tough one. He's got it. Incredible work. Well done. He's a genius. He gets a Dawn of the Dead badge. Look at this. That's awesome. Thank you, dude. Well done. Check him out. He's got a silent Bob tattoo. Awesome. Round of applause for him. Next one coming up. This is number five. Does anyone ever think of the Spaced episode when they hear that? With Mike going to the rave, no one ever seen that show? Awesome. <laughs> Matt Hughes, Matt Hughes, have you got your hand up? Yeah, he was first as well. What is it? Well done, my friend. You get a Predator badge. Amazing. Round of applause again for Matt. Matt, who was mentioned in Jen's story about the podcast. So it's all, it's all fixed. Next one. The girl hair. with pink hair at the back. Incredible. Yes. Well done. Thank you. I now feel like we should all go to the Crystal Dome at the end. That'd be amazing. What a show that was. Do you remember it? Very much so, awesome. yeah. I think we've got two left. Life is like a hurricane here in Duckburg. Race cars, lasers, airplanes. It's a Duckburg. Might solve the mystery.
that's a great show. The yes. Ducktails, well done, my friend. And the final one who's going to win leftover badges. There's two of um, True Romance and four stickers of Mark and Me, which you need to plaster on people throughout the weekend. This is a big one. My mind's gone blank on that one. <laughs> Fastest hand, na oh, green hat. Amazing, yeah. my friend. Round of applause. Well done. What I do on the podcast, if you've ever heard before, is I always end it with a song that's chosen by the guest that's been on. So I've done nearly 280 episodes, and every single person that's ever come on chooses the final piece of music. Now, I'm going to really throw you in at the deep end here and not prepare you. But because this is being recorded, and I'll release it in a couple of days' time, I want it to be like a normal episode. So what I normally do is ask the guest, is there a song that means a lot to you personally, that maybe when you grew up had an effect on you, or just something that when I ask the question comes to your head and your heart before any other song. What will happen, this will all be edited and it will be the last song that plays out on this special. But what I try and do without complicating it, because anyone in the band is already thinking 10,000 songs, then down to 1,000, is what is the first one that came to your heart when I just literally asked you the question? February Stars by Free Fighters. That's a hell of a beautiful song. Yeah. Is Dave Grohl here? As he comes <laughs> to this festival like Glastonbury and come in. That was a beautiful rendition, thank you. Do you want to come up and sing? Get it on the recording. And what I like is the reason behind the song. It's just, it's, it's like, it just meant a lot to me, I suppose. In, I suppose, just connected with me, I suppose, when I was finding, it's, it's like one of those things where it's like your first favorite song that you find. I guess. So yeah, it means a lot to me for that reason. It's a beautiful one to get to play out. Uh, we've got literally a couple of minutes left. Has anyone got any questions or would anyone like to ask anything at all? If not, do not worry. We can then finish earlier and get Sapnin up here earlier. No, he's not coming on till 10. Okay, so has anyone got any questions? Yes, hand up, brilliant. Do you wanna come forward? Hi, Jen. Hey. I'm always fascinated by like band names. So where, where did the name false advertising come from? Where, where did it? How did you arrive at false advertising? It's, it's one of those things where we didn't decide on a band name for so long. and we just Because we were in a band and we were like rehearsing, making a record like ages ago. Like We formed our band, I suppose, sort of about 10 years ago, but we didn't actually do anything until like three years later or something. So, so it's one of those things where one of the things we didn't figure out until we were just about ready to do stuff was our band name. And we just had like this big list, and it was it was on that list I think like for quite a long time. But I think I think there's a field music song that I really liked at the time where I forgot what it's called, but like one of the lyrics is about false advertising in it. So that I kept thinking of that, and also um, it's 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 awful. But I kept walking past at one of the bars near where I live had one of those 
signs on it where it's like um, free beer, topless bartenders and false advertising kind of thing, um, which people send to us a lot now, that, that same sort of meme, which is great. Um, the, the rain has finally come. Wow. <laughs> and I think it's just a phrase that just stuck for some reason. Like I was, as I said, like I was clearing out my my dad's house or helping to clear out my dad's house the other day and in one of my old because I kept everything for some reason the my old kind of like year planners where you've got like at school like everything that you do and all the homework you've got to do it's like write about false advertising is on one page you know it's just like one of those phrases that's just always held true I suppose and then I suppose it gave us we felt like I mean Chris Narban writes a lot about a lot more political sort of themes generally and he really liked it for that reason so it just just sort of seemed to work cool thank you so what i want to do today is create history at this festival um this is a big one so it's important to me that i've got my wife here today um everyone say hello to leah hey thank you and I've brought my two beautiful dogs, and I thought if the set goes really bad today and literally no one turns up and I don't know what I'm going to do, everybody loves a dog. So if I bring up a dog on stage, everyone will be like, that's awesome. But this festival, I don't believe in history has had a dog on stage. It's not like Download where they bring out this big fluffy dog. So what I'm going to do is bring my dog onto stage, and it will now be officially the first dog in the history of 2,000 trees to go on stage and perform, which I think is going to be awesome. So let me just get my good, beautiful little girl, Billy. And uh, I want you all to say hello to Billy. And if we can get some photos for this, this would be good because I want to see it. So this is Florence, everybody. So everyone say hello. And this is Billy. So if everyone could say hello to Billy. Thank you, everyone, for coming this morning. I know it's early. I know some of you have been to silent discos or are still tripping your tits off or whatever you're doing. But thank you so much for coming to this. This has been an amazing moment. It's being recorded. A huge, please, round of applause for Jen. What a legend. That's amazing. Uh, this has been the Mark and Me podcast. Please stick around. Genuinely, I listen to one podcast. That's all the time I get in my life because I edit all day. I only listen to two podcasts because Matt's here. I do listen to your podcast as well. That's a lie. But my favorite podcast genuinely is Sapnin Podcast. So please stick around. Sean and Morgan are absolute legends. My favorite podcast out there. Please stick around. But let's make some absolute huge noise for this set today. Florence, Billy, me, Jen, Mark and Me podcast. So there it is. There's my live set from 2000 Trees. And like I said, I had the time of my life. It's been a career highlight. I got to spend a lot of time with the Sapning guys. I think Sean and Morgan were absolutely awesome. They followed my set on Saturday morning and were just hilarious. I absolutely love those guys. I got to spend a lot of time with some good close friends over the weekend as well. So a massive shout out to the guys at Good As Gold Group. Without those guys, honestly, this podcast wouldn't be where it is. Also to Emma from the 
awesome public city. You are just an absolute legend. And honestly, I just got to see loads of good friends that if I listed them, it would take most of this podcast. But I do want to give a big shout out to my good friend Harley Mumford, who came along, assisted me, and was just an absolute awesome person to spend the weekend with. And as you heard, my wife got to see the set, and so did Florence and Billy. So it was all around just one of the best and most perfect weekends for me that I could ever dream of. I will be back, honestly, before you even know it, with another special. I was so busy all weekend and I recorded so many interviews, so this week is going to be hectic with probably a new episode every day. It really is that busy. But all I ask in the meantime, if you've enjoyed today's episode, is please give any of my social media channels a follow on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and share this episode. It costs nothing to do and all the links are on markandme.com. If you just hit that retweet button or share it on Facebook, it really goes a long way. And I do also have a Patreon account, so if you want to say thanks for this special by giving me just a couple of pounds back, in return you'll get a badge, you'll get stickers, you'll get an exclusive episode each and every month that's only for people that support me on Patreon, a newsletter and so much more. And I can't end this episode with giving the biggest thanks to Jen. I absolutely love you, adore you and thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure to have you on and an absolute honour to share the stage with you, so thank you again. I'll speak to you all in literally 24 hours time with another brand new episode. So until then, look after yourself, take care, and I'll speak to you all very soon.
Jesus. 